I've kind of made it. And yet I barely consume TV anymore. So I had had this moment of, I don't really think this is what I meant to be doing. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. What is happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Today, we are still rocking it with PodMax, and I have my third interview of the day with PodMax. That's what makes PodMax so awesome, is I get to meet a minimum of three new, wonderful, amazing people each and every time I attend this event. It's tremendous, and I love it. And this guest, once again, no different. Sally Wolf is joining me today. She is a Harvard undergrad and got an MBA from Stanford. So I'm going to have a hard time keeping up with her intellect, but I'm going to do my best. So Sally, thank you for joining me on this episode and welcome to the show. It is so great to be here. And this Harvard and Stanford girl couldn't figure out how to work her microphone. So I promise you there is a lot I can learn from you as well. We weren't going to go there, but since you, you you threw it out there, I'm like, okay, cool. We're even now. We're, we're good. We're good. So, Sally, what brings you to PodMax? This is your first time at this event, right? Mm-hmm, correct. What brings you here? And, and, and how are we able to take this opportunity for you and I to, to have this conversation? I love connection. I think at the end of the day, we all are on various journeys and life is all about connecting and intersecting and learning from one another, as we just were kidding about in the intro. And I have found that in the past several years, the opportunity to be open and be vulnerable and share life moments with one another in moments like a podcast, or I also happen to do public speaking and I teach at companies, I teach workshops on connection. It's what life is ultimately all about. And so when I saw the opportunity to join today, I jumped at it. It just felt like it could be a fun chance to get to know a few different interviewers it's been a wonderful community. That's awesome. It, it, it has been tremendous. You know, I, I met uh, Josh in event pre-COVID. So we met in real life. That's kind of weird. But, but we met in real life and we kind of just clicked, man. We were two new guys at this particular podcasting event and we were trying to find our way around and we just kept bumping into each other. And next thing you know, we're hanging out. We're attending the same panels and the whole nine yards. So it was really, really cool. And that led this led me to this today. This is, I believe it's my eighth PodMax event. Man, every opportunity I have to get in here and get involved in this community is is tremendous. Tell me more about you. Sally, you're an entrepreneur. You obviously have a tremendous education. Uh, You've been heavily involved in media over the years. You uh, spent 20 years in corporate America. Now you've branched out. You're an entrepreneur. Give us some idea what that path was like and kind of sum that up for us if you can. Sure. As you said, I went to those schools. So undergrad at Harvard, was a psych major, but didn't initially do anything with that. I entered the corporate world. I became a management consultant, which was a very popular path out of Harvard. I worked for four years. I went to Stanford. I got an MBA and also a master's in education. And and I give you these little percolating things from the past because I've come to realize just like Steve Jobs spoke about in a Stanford commencement speech, not the year I graduated, but in 2005, a speech that I highly recommend. He talked about how all of our dots, how we can make meaning, all these different dots, when we look backward. And so here I was, I had studied psychology, but wasn't really using it. I had gotten this master's in education, but wasn't really using it. Ended up on this 20-year path that you alluded to in the corporate world, in the media world, was an executive at Time Warner, which is now Warner Media, 
had launched this incubator where we invested in storytellers the same way a VC firm would invest in a startup company. I loved it in so much as I had loved any job. It was the best corporate job I'd ever had. I had the best boss I ever had. And yet I had hit this point, this is about five or five years ago, where I just knew it wasn't aligned with where I was in life anymore. I had started this career in the media industry because I loved consuming media, right? I'm graduating from college. I'm 22. I loved magazines. I loved television. I actually told a teacher who was scheduling a seminar, a true story back in the mid nineties, sophomore psychology majors at Harvard, there was a required seminar that you took and you were assigned to a specific teacher and Matt, who was actually still a very close friend of mine. He called each of us and he said, okay, we're going to be meeting Wednesdays from seven to 9 PM. Does that work for you? And without missing a beat and, and, this is a teacher I had never met before. I said, but 90210 is on at eight. <laughs> and he's kind of like, that's not exactly what I had in mind as a conflict. If it makes you feel any better, one other person happened to mention that as well. I had to take this class. This was not like a class I didn't take. So that was the point in college at which I got a VCR because obviously I could not miss 90210. Okay, I got to interrupt. I have to, I have to, because I got to know, is it Team Brenda or Team Kelly? Which is it? Team Kelly. Yes. Yes. And then, I love and then it. Like more like the Brandon Dylan. I'm definitely a Brandon girl. So oh, see, I was on a see, my wife and I argue. newspaper with, you know, like that was, that was, I was like the Andrea Zuckerman of <laughs> my high school experience. I love it. And I just love the fact that you're team Kelly. That is so, my wife is 1000% team Brenda. I was about to she say, hates was, Kelly. Any, was anyone team Brenda? Really? My wife, my wife was team Brenda. And I'm like, how, how? It doesn't even make sense. But yes. So I'm so glad that I met you because now I have somebody on my team as well. Did you guys watch the reboot last year? She tried it. I didn't even, I didn't even want to offend okay. my eyes with it. So, uh, but she said she watched parts of it and it wasn't quite what she hoped it was. It was a little be. bizarre. And yet, yeah. admittedly, I did watch every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? So, yeah, you know, you know nostalgia, right? A hundred percent. So at any rate, that, that was, that was my psych. That was my main memory of psychology in college was that interrupted. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I loved psychology. I didn't do anything with it. And yet I would start in my adult life when things like Ted became popular. It was the Brene Brown talk that I would gravitate to. Oprah's super soul was the media that I like to consume. And yet here I was 20 years into a media career launching something I was very proud of. And yet kind of knowing like, huh, I work at this company that we own HBO. We own all the Turner networks. We own Warner Brothers. Like this is, you know, if you're going to work in media, I've kind of made it. And yet I barely consume TV anymore. So I had had this moment of, I don't really think this is what I meant to be doing. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I had this reset of sorts where I had already resigned and didn't really know what I was resigning for. So it turns out, I guess I was resigning for my health. So I, I had an incredible boss at the time. And she's like, you're not going anywhere. You have earned your disability. You're going to max out. All, I mean, like everything that a boss could do and really should do, but often probably doesn't. I had the gift of, of going through cancer with 
with the boss, really the angel that I was meant to from a corporate perspective. And what it afforded me was uh, all this time off to really reconsider what I was doing. And what happened was I had a double mastectomy. It was February 11th. It was pretty much exactly right. We're only a little bit beyond that. So five years ago, February to August, I was out of the office on disability. And pretty much that entire time I took a positive psychology course. And for anyone who hasn't heard of positive psychology at very high level, what that is, is it takes traditional psychology, which is, you know, high level, all about helping to fix or mitigate or or someone who's struggling with something, kind of getting them to be fine. So someone may have be feeling extra down or sad or anxious or whatever it may be. And like traditional psychology says, let's get that person to, to not be struggling with that, to be okay. And positive psychology in 1998, a professor at UPenn named Marty Seligman said, okay, getting to fine is really important if someone is not there, but we don't need to stop at fine. We can get someone who's fine to good and good to great and great to awesome. And that effectively is what positive psychology is. It all is rooted in science. So it is about teaching and learning the growth mindset so that when we're faced with an obstacle, we can see it as an opportunity. It is about learning how to prime ourselves for positivity, despite the fact that all of us as humans evolutionarily are wired with a negativity bias. It's about how to find and make meaning in our lives. Going back to that Steve Jobs speech that I mentioned, by connecting our dots, connecting our moments and our experiences. So what I'm doing right now, my entrepreneurial journey, I have created a company called Lightworks. I bring positive psychology-based workshops and classes into companies and schools. I do public speaking. I join podcasts when I have an opportunity to meet awesome folks like you. I write. But all of what I do, all of those different things, those are the how, how I deliver the message. It's all under effectively the umbrella, the personal umbrella for me of wanting to spread light and resilience and help people to really know that everyone has in them what I've found in me through this cancer journey, that resilience, that ability to take a difficult moment and not only go through it, but grow through it and shine through it. So there is, we all know PTSD, like everyone's heard of PTSD. But if you were to make a bell curve of resilience, PTSD is the tough part of that bell curve. There is also post-traumatic growth. It is going through something that's really difficult and it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean there aren't parts about it we might not choose. And yet we're living that journey. So how do we go through that and be better on the other side. And I think more than ever, everyone is navigating that to some degree right now because we're all living through the same pandemic. And my experience of it is different than yours. It's different than someone else's because we're all unique humans. And yet we're all more than ever in our lifetimes, the whole world is going through something. So I think the difference between who ends up sort of in a better place after it and who doesn't is is all about flexing that resilience muscle, so to speak, which we can all build if we know how. 
wow, there, there's a lot there to unpack, honestly. And I hear they were playing the song of your people. You are in New York, right? So the, the soundtrack. Oh, you heard that? <laughs> the soundtrack was there. So folks listening, yes, we are coming live from New York right now. We're recording from New York. So that is the song of, of New York. But uh, I asked the NYP to do that just for you. <laughs> just for that, that authenticity, right? We're talking about being ourselves and finding ourselves and how it's critical to be authentic when we're presenting ourselves forward like this. That was just an excellent contribution. What I really wanted to ask was, do you think that in order to establish that resili- that resiliency, to understand that post-traumatic, not trauma, but growth, well, just the term PTSD, traumatic is in there, but do you think that we have to experience high levels of trauma in order to get similar growth, or can we still grow without experiencing trauma? Absolutely, the latter. I, and I, I don't wish trauma on anyone The word trauma gets used a lot these days. And while there are people experience legitimate trauma, I don't think it takes something like, you know, in my personal case, I'll talk about mine. I lost my breasts. I was bald for several months. I live with what is a metastatic stage four breast cancer right now because it unfortunately had come back and spread. So those are all real, you know, data points from my life, from my journey, that they're real. Sure. It's subjective too. I think sometimes what, what is traumatic? So what is traumatic for one person, like someone might lose a job and like that, and like without knowing that person's not only financial situation and need for that job from a salary perspective, also from an emotional perspective and whatever attachment exists to that company or history exists with it. So you could have two people laid off the same day from the same job at the same company. And for one person, that is like, I am going out and celebrating. I didn't want to be here anyway. And for someone else, that's a traumatic moment in that person's life. So first of all, this is subjective stuff when we talk about anything in the human experience. And I just want to put that out there because the word trauma itself gets used a lot. And I think sometimes it's hard to understand someone else's trauma. There are people who can listen to me talk about where I am in my cancer journey. And they may be in a very different place with very similar medical chart. And like, they may be struggling more than I am. And look, I have my days where I'm struggling, right? So it's very hard to know exactly what it feels like, even if you kind of think you can wrap your head around someone else's experience. But that aside, we all have moments in life that just don't go our way. And I don't think they need to be traumatic to piss us off or to make us sad or whatever it may be. That's an emotion that's, you know, kind of lumped into these darker emotions that we may not choose to feel may not be traumatic, but it's real. And one of the things that I like to think about is that that can coexist with lighter feelings too. So for example, I try to focus a lot on gratitude. I happen to be a silver linings kind of girl. I authentically can find silver linings. And also I look for them because for me, that helps me to get through my day in a positive way. So I can tell you all the silver linings I have found from this crazy year that we have just lived through, right? There was a silver lining of living at my sister's for six months and I'm an auntie to three awesome little humans. And so just having that magical time, right? It was always like a dance party in auntie's room or arts and crafts, like late night arts and crafts at 7 p.m. It was amazing. 
I wouldn't have had that without the pandemic. I launched this business because people care more about resilience and mental well-being than ever before. So those are silver linings. And yet I am living through a pandemic in a body that is immunocompromised in a city. I'm back in New York now. My, my nephew and nieces started in-person school, so I didn't feel as safe with all of that exposure, potential exposure. And so I'm on my own. I'm splitting time at my parents, but really I'm in my apartment by myself, running errands, needing to interface with other humans, not fully vaccinated yet, although cancer silver lining. I have gotten one before most of my friends. So, you know, there's this gratitude that I feel for all the things that did go right for me this year. We can experience all these darker emotions. I can experience the the loneliness, the sadness. I could think I could have done it better and we didn't have to be in this situation, all that stuff. And I can also be grateful for what I did have this year, for the magic anteing time, for the magic of a career pivot that I feel very much was meant to be, that quite frankly, the pandemic accelerated for me because all these folks now, people who didn't used to realize the importance of resilience in every single person now do. And so it doesn't negate the other feelings. And while I wouldn't label those as traumatic, going back to your question about do we need trauma, they're real. And yet I can focus on the after the pandemic growth that comes from the other things that did go right. So I would say that is post-traumatic growth. It doesn't require trauma. It doesn't, it just requires that inward reflection on personal resilience. And it's a choice the way that we do that, right? Because I could say, well, just be resilient, but that doesn't really give someone a tool. It's reflecting on the moments that you've had this year or in the past few years, whatever is right for you and being able to make meaning and meaning is subjective. So the meaning that I make from the pandemic of what it, how it served me is different from what you'll likely come up with or what a listener would, because we're all unique, but being able to make it authentic for you. So like I look back at my past, right? And I studied psychology and I did it the, I graduated the year before positive psychology became a thing. So I didn't get it in college, right? I can tell you I graduated from Harvard with all these honors in psychology, but I didn't get the material that really was aligned with my heart of hearts. And yet what I did then do was spend 20 years in the corporate world. So had I gone straight into positive psychology without that corporate experience, I don't think I could have the credibility to walk into companies right now and to leading companies in their spaces and work with executives and junior employees alike, because I wouldn't know the corporate world. So there's that resilience bell curve and that ability to find post-traumatic growth and make meaning authentically for yourself is like trusting that the things in your past that really aligned with your heart, they're coming together in a way that you maybe couldn't have even have written right? If you're writing the script, you wouldn't have necessarily known them. And yet they all make sense when you look backward. And that's post-traumatic growth. 
And, and I love that. And I think so many people struggle understanding that. They struggle understanding knowing that whatever they're going through today with a little, maybe a lot of resiliency, depending on the situation, is going to culminate later on in life and put them exactly where they're supposed to be. And a lot of people want to take that step out into entrepreneurship. They want to walk away from corporate America, but they're scared to death to do so. They're scared to death that they're going to step out and they're going to fall flat on their face, which very well could happen. I'm not here to preach a a gospel of prosperity necessarily as compared to a a gospel of you have to go ahead and take that risk. And that that resiliency, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time saying that word. Maybe I need to go back to college, but (laughs) I love the word resiliency. And maybe we need to embrace that and understand where we're at today doesn't mean that's where we're going to be at tomorrow. You know, my wife is struggling right now because she went through a traumatic experience just last week. I'm down here in Texas and in Texas we had snowmageddon, right? So we're used to a little snow, maybe a little ice. I didn't think it was that big a deal. We went several days with very, very limited bursts of electricity, and I think the longest period we went overall was 28 hours without electricity. So that's nothing we've ever experienced in Texas before. And my wife is really still freaked out about the whole thing. She's wanting to install solar. She's wanting to get Tesla batteries installed in the garage, and she wants to switch everything over to gas-powered instead of electric and this and that. All, and and some of it may be, uh, you know, viable, but do we really need to go out and, and do all of that? I don't know. But my point here is, is that it affected her totally differently than it did me. Me, it was an inconvenience and it was frustrating because watching movies on your phone, you know, it's great when you're on the plane, but watching movies on your phone for 28 hours straight is a little tedious and a little tiring on the old eyes. But that's about the the gist of the, the entire situation for me was that was it. I was bored. But she came out of it traumatized. So that's a demonstration that it, that trauma affects or it's even perceived differently by individuals. But at the same time, we're growing together and we're both going to end up in the same place. It's why it's really important to listen, I think, because and not assume, right? Right. To ask, like, how, what are you feeling? How, are, how, how is this for you? Because we do all experience things differently and, you know, the same things differently. There, there's all the psychology research about even the, the experience you and I are having right now is we're in the same conversation and yet we may be having a different experience of it. And, and certainly if you magnify that by all of the people who are attending Pod Max today, different things will be salient about the day to different folks. And and so you like kind of extrapolate that to life and and everything. We just have to listen and not assume that because we're in the same physical space or screen space or whatever it may be, that we're all having the actual same experience of that. And it's something I remind myself of a lot when I speak to to women who are newly diagnosed with breast cancer. So I have, you know, unfortunately it's a fairly common diagnosis and a lot of friends friends will connect me to people, friends of friends, so to speak, that that I don't know, but who are newly diagnosed. And I always ask them to share as much of their story as they're willing to do, because I need to see where they are in order to know how to have that conversation, right? Everyone is in a different place in that moment. And so how much I choose to share initially, it it depends on them. It really is. And I take a ton of dance classes. So I love the analogy to dance, but 
conversations really need to be a dance, right? Both parties need to be participating. And I think that that's what you allude to when you talk about having that moment with your wife where you're really realizing and recognizing that you each lived through something really significant in a different way. Right, right. And both are, and both are valid. No, no doubt about it. Both are extremely valid. And I, I try to make sure she understands that, but it can be difficult at times when you're coming through a traumatic issue to be able to look at it that rationally, you know? So that's, that, that's, it's an interesting lesson to see there. It's always easier when it's not your own particular story, right? It's very easy yeah. for me to be on the outside of yours and say, you know, explain that or say that because it's not my journey. I can tell you when it's myself. And like, this is true of anyone who coaches. I, I also have a coaching certification. I do coaching one-on-one. It's so much easier to coach others. And yet like part of the reason I actually became a coach this is true is because I wanted to learn to coach myself. So in those moments of severe anxiety or whatever it may be that I noticed I was having living through this cancer journey, I'm like, wait, you know how to talk to other people. You could talk to yourself in that same way. Yeah. But all these things are things that we learn along the way. Something that you brought up a couple of times is dance. I've heard you mean you have a beautiful piece of artwork behind you there that was it was made for you by your, your dance friends or your your dance group. Uh, for one, tell us what that 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 artwork is. Try to describe it as best as you can because obviously we're we're doing audio here, but it's cool because it is audio. It's an it's an audio waveform. So tell us about it. It is, and I love that you had asked me about it when we first sat down. So. It is an audio graph. It looks like something you would see on SoundCloud, which probably dates me, Or, but basically you see the sound waves. And it is a gift that was made for me by a dear friend of mine for my 40th birthday when I had a dance party, a pole dancing party. We had actually all met all of my friends who were there in pole dancing class that I had begun about nine years before that. And it's cool because each friend contributed her voice print and said something like, you are radiant, you are inspiring, you are love. So each of those women, their voice print is in a different color. And so it's almost like an ombre effect of color in each person's voice print. So it's a, it's, it is a unique gift. No one else in the world has that exact piece of art on her wall. Not a chance. No, that is, and that is so cool. I just love it. I've been looking at it the whole time, even out of the corner of my eye. I just think it's one of the coolest things that I've seen being the audiophile that I am. You know, I recognize it as a waveform and I needed to know all about that, but I think that's tremendous. That's such a great gift. And I will say this is my Zoom background for pretty much every call I do from this apartment and which is my only apartment. And, <laughs> uh, and you're the first person who has asked me about it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do so. It just, it caught my eye. I thought it was very original, very unique. And I had to know more. So, so now you, now you, we're going to get a little bit deeper here in, into you because you just hit me with something. You, you're saying dance class and I'm thinking, you know, oh, maybe it's ballroom dancing or maybe it's some salsa merengue or something. Probably not even saying that right. I'm from Texas. I'm supposed to know how to say it, but I don't know how to say it. But <laughs> you don't know how to say it and I don't know how to do Fair it. Enough. So it's all it balances good. out. But you hit me with pole dancing. You've been pole dancing for nine years. Now, I, I understand pole dancing has come a long ways. Well, yeah, nine, nine years as of 2005. Oh. We're going on 15 years Oh my years gosh. Now. So now, obviously, pole dancing has come a long, long way since our, 
our outdated perception of pole dancing. How did you get into pole dancing? And I mean, it's not every day you meet a Harvard grad that's also a pole dancer. <laughs> right. So you need that I'm going to dork in the, di- in the Venn diagram of Harvard and yeah. dancing. Here, here's Sally. Um, <laughs> I, I happened upon it on a whim. Uh, and honestly, so it was part of a daily email blast, a marketing blast that was very popular in the early 2000s. It doesn't exist anymore called Daily Candy. And I got the email, the invitation, uh, you know, I mean, the mass invitation. I went to everyone like, hey, here's something new in New York. It started out in LA. It's here now. And I saw it. And as you might expect, this Harvard girl, this very prim and proper and prudish and modest and not a pole dancer, I pressed delete right away. And (laughs) one of my very close friends at, you know, a few minutes later, I get this forward, this same email blast from a friend of mine who sent it to about 15 of us and said, like, we have to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I, after, after I fell in love with it, I actually looked back at that email because I wanted to see how I responded because I knew I was not that enthusiastic. And all I had written back was you're hilarious, huh? That's it. And by the way, I'm kind of wordy. I don't send short emails. Like I'm, you can tell I like conversation. You're hilarious, huh? So she then wrote back and said, I've done it in LA. It's incredible. I actually then replied that I would go with her, not because I had any interest in trying pole dancing, but because I was a good friend. So PS, as often happens in these moments, we went she dropped out after two or three months. And 15 years later, I'm basically a black belt pole dancer. Um, <laughs> what I started on a whim and went to out of dedication and loyalty to a friend became something much deeper. So dance is a metaphor for life. I am super cerebral. We've kidded about my schools, but, but really it is a brain that is in this head that, you know, I have lived very much in my entire life, meaning I've lived in my brain. I've overanalyzed everything. I overthink every decision. I'm a planner, all of that kind of stuff. What we don't learn in this country as much is how to really truly live in our bodies. And I know that may sound silly because we are in our bodies, but really being in your body, like knowing just having that intuition about whether a subtle pain is something important and, or just you slept on something funny, just really knowing how to breathe, truly breathing, like not just having oxygen enter and leave your body, which keeps us alive, but actually feeling your breath go in as you inhale and end up deep into your belly. So that if you were to put your hands on your belly, when you inhale, you are pushing that hand out like truly breathing, right? Learning stillness and meditation, all of this stuff that I believe is really important, but I had not ever been introduced to. So I started on this dance journey. I very much did it because, you know, I went to that first class with a friend. It was fun. I did gymnastics as a kid. So suddenly I had this opportunity to invert those horizontal bars, 90 degrees and play, and it really is fun. If you ever, before there was any attachment of pole dancing to sex, to sex and to strip clubs, if you ever see a kid on a playground or on a subway, you know, pre-COVID when it was safe to touch these things, 
Like they're going to run wild and have so much fun uninhibited. So I actually, it's not up right now, but I do have a poll in my apartment that my nephew and niece, like they know it's auntie's fireman's poll and not everyone. They think, I think for a while they thought everyone's auntie had a fireman's poll, but kids <laughs> just love it. And so to be able to embrace that inner child was super fun. Now, things that start off in one way, like fun in this case, can morph over time. And so what I will also tell you is what started out as a really fun class, it's still fun. And it also became a much deeper emotional journey into myself. So getting connected to my body, which didn't happen in the first class, but over the course of many. And then after getting connected into my body, just learning that I really was expressing myself through my body and not my mouth and not my brain. And having people read things in your body because body language talks pretty loudly. And so having a teacher be able to sense without me saying anything that I may have felt angry or sad or whatever from a subtle movement, not something like explosive, right? Where everyone can can read that, but something really subtle. And so I learned and started this deeper journey into myself, this nonverbal, this really, really deep understanding of, of all of the stuff that I just mentioned. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So the gift of having a space, a really safe space to explore a changing body because I lost both my breasts, I lost my hair, to have this movement that was such a part of me. Like it wasn't my body moving as two separate. It was just like, like it was just as natural as walking. It is just as natural as walking or talking. So to have that as part of my healing journey after losing these body parts that are so connected to, to a female body in particular and femininity and, and feel a hundred percent connected to my body and not be stuck on my scars and all of the stuff that I've heard so many cancer friends, friends I've made on this journey, be their struggles with cancer. I didn't have that to the same degree because I had such a safe space to explore all of that. And for that, I'll I'll always be grateful. I think that's so amazing because the analogy you use there with the playground is not something that I had ever considered. Maybe it's just because I'm just your typical middle-aged white male that always thinks pole dancing goes back to the strip club. The thing there, when you, when you talk about the freedom and the fun of just being free on the playground with the monkey bars or whatever bar you happen to be on at the time and inverting that, is, it's a perspective that I don't think many people see in that art form. It, it's, I'm actually, so the timing of this about a month ago, I, it was released on Netflix. I'm in a documentary right now. That's all about pole dancing and this freedom that many women find in it related to, you know, like from whatever, like they may be experiencing and, or may have experienced in their lives. It's like return to freedom and this reclamation of, of that inner child magic that I think you're alluding to. We should all be so lucky to have. Yeah parts of our lives activity because it, it flows over into other things then, right? So for me, like dance is a space, a place, a part of me where I feel uninhibited. I also feel that when I pick up magic markers and other arts and crafts kind of things, which 
I've always loved, but it took my sister having three kids. And then I became the arts and crafts guru for our family, right? For me to return to that. See, totally different activity, but a similar sense of what a psychologist would call flow, which is being so in the zone, right? You lose that sense of time or space. You're just so focused on it because it innately lights one up from the inside is how I like to say it. It's not a means to some sort of end that is imposed on us, like, you know, something for for someone else from a work perspective or just because you have to do it. It's just something that you love. And so for me, dance and arts and crafts, and I like glitter. I am my mid forties as well. And, you know, just, it's fun. It makes me happy. There's all this chalk art all over New York right now, a pre-pandemic thing, but, but now, especially in my neighborhood, I can't get enough. Like what's better than walking, literally finding a trail of chalk carts. I am sure there are a million people who walk past them every day and it doesn't register. And yet here I am whipping out my iPhone, taking a photo. I have an absurd number of photos of, you know, the chalk heart or the chalk word love or whatever it may be. And that's hundred percent aligned with just the fact that it makes me happy. There's no other reason to take those pictures. I'll probably never do anything with them, but in that moment, And that's that same, it's like the figurative breath. Like there's like that sitting down and really breathing into your belly. There is the going for a walk outside and just noticing the little things, which is what a chalk heart is, that just makes you stop and appreciate life. And so that's what dance, I believe, really awakened in me. That same, that sense of like the finger is doing this, that just like intimate connection to every part of my body need me equally aware of the little things outside of me too. That is tremendous. That is tremendous. And I appreciate you sharing everything with us today. Uh, they're telling us to get back to the main room. I'm sure you saw the message pop up, but I don't want to do that without letting everyone know how they can find out more about you. What's the name of the documentary that you're in? We all want to check that out as well. So tell us the scoop and then we'll head back to the main group. Sure. So the documentary, I am one of many women in it. It's called Strip Down, Rise Up. It is on Netflix. I am about 51 minutes in for a little two minute story arc, but you know, you should watch the whole thing, but that is where I am if you're looking for me. I also have my own website, Sally Wolf. So S-A-L-L-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And if you like pictures of chalk hearts all over New York and other fun things that I find, I am at Sally Shoots on Instagram. That is so awesome. I just want to thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a real pleasure. You know, we didn't know this was going to happen today. This is one of those things that just happens spontaneously. And it turned out to be a tremendous opportunity. And I appreciate every minute of it. Thank you so very much. Me too. Thanks so much, Larry. 